As I said, we uh, begin today a new series of teaching on the Bible, which is normal for us, but this one's called One Big Story, as you can see right in front of me here. And uh, so we're going to actually look at the entire Bible over the next few weeks. (laughs) And you're wondering, wow, how are you going to do that? It's going to be a fairly high flyover. It's not going to be too deep, but we're going to look at a few spots in the Bible specifically related to this incredible story of the gospel. Story of the gospel. Um, We believe that the entire Bible points to the person and work of Jesus. From the start to the finish, it's all about the work of Jesus, and that is the gospel. So maybe a few things of review. What is gospel? What does it even mean? Well, here are some thoughts. Uh, Gospel actually is a word that comes out of the original language in the Bible. It means good news or good message or even glad tidings. So gospel is good news. Uh, The good news that Jesus provided the possibility of renewed right relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We just sang that. Praise, praise the Father, praise the Son. And praise the Spirit, three in one, hallelujah. The gospel is about that. The gospel is also the revelation of Jesus. So when we look in the New Testament, the first four books are Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Luke, Gospel of John. Why? Because they're the story of Jesus. They're the story of the revelation of Christ. In the Bible, the word gospel is found over 90 times in most translations. And some of the newer translations actually use the word good news. So when you see the word good news, probably that's where the word gospel would have been. Um, Four examples of gospel, good news, in the New Testament that might help us a little bit. First one is from Mark 1.1, where it says, the beginning of the good news is about Jesus, the Messiah, Son of God. So Mark starts his gospel by saying the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Um, in Matthew 4:23, we read, Jesus went through Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news, the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease, sickness, and sickness among the people. And then in chapter 24, it says, and this is the gospel of the kingdom that will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Good news. The kingdom has come. Um, There are two comings of Jesus. One was at incarnation. We celebrated that a few months ago. One is still to come. But ultimately, there's a promise of coming. Another example of gospel is in Ephesians 6, where it says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Peace is good news. Peace with God peace with others, and even, ultimately, world peace. Fourth example is the eternal or everlasting gospel. Revelation 14 says, I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on earth, to every nation, tribe, and language, and people. Gospel proclaimed, even in Revelation, at the end of the Bible. So this is one big, big big story. I'm going to give you a definition of gospel. Um, There won't be a quiz after, but maybe this is a good one. 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that Jesus has conquered our greatest enemies, sin and death, and that we can be freed from being captive in the power of darkness and enter into the kingdom of God as sons and daughters of the king himself. I know that was a long definition, so I don't expect you to remember it. But you can listen to this sermon online. Then you can memorize it. The gospel is about right relationship in the kingdom with the king himself. And we believe that this story permeates the entire Bible. As I said, it points to Jesus. The entire Bible does. Today we're going back to the very beginning of the book. The very beginning of of our Bible, to look at the story of gospel, or the story of good news in the story of creation. So I'm going to read these stories for you, and there's actually two of them. I'm going to read them both in the Bible. Uh, It's long, so I'm going to be reading for a while, and I'm going to invite you to actually just listen. The words won't be on the screen, and, and I guess I can't make you not look in your Bible, but I'm going to invite you to just listen. And part of that is because this story, for most of its time, for many, many, many centuries, for many lifetimes, was passed on by what we call oral tradition, which means they told it to each other. They didn't have books, printed books like we do. So I'm going to invite you to listen, and here we go. Story number one. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness, and he he called the day, the light day, and the darkness night. And evening passed, and morning came, making the first day. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens, and God called the space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that's what happened. God called the dry ground land and the waters seas. God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant, and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plant and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. Then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights. The larger one to govern the day, to govern the day, and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars, and God saw that it was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. 
So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and the birds multiply on the earth. The evening passed and the morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind. Livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. Because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. That's story number one. Story number two. When the Lord God made the the earth and the heavens, neither the wild plants nor the grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth. And there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, Trees that were beautiful and trees that produced delicious fruit. And in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and dividing into four branches. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him. You may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper for him, who is just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. 
And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. And he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Let's pause and pray again for a moment. Father, thank you for this amazing story, these two stories, that can help us understand you. And as we understand you, I think they can help us understand ourselves and even understand the world where we live. And I pray that that would be what we see here this morning. First, we see you. And second, we see ways to understand our world that really are ways that are in line with how you understand us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two creation stories. Now, I suspect there could be somebody in the room who'd say, what? I didn't even know there was two. But yeah, I read that right out of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. Interesting. The first story seems really meticulous, right? Like goes through detail, talks about days, talks about um, plants growing and bearing fruit and reproducing and all that kind of stuff. The second seems a little more earthy. The first story uses the name for God that is Elohim. Elohim is one of the names in the, for God in the Bible. And it's often just translated God. But it could be actually translated plural. In case you wondered why that one section in the Genesis 1, it says, uh, and God said, let us create, God, uh, create man in our image. And you wondered, what is with the us? That's got to be a typo. No, actually, that's actually part of what that name of God could mean. And we've often taken that to be a reference to the Trinity. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The name of God, Elohim, also carries with it the idea of creativity. So that makes sense. God is creating, so they call him the creative God. It's interesting that he also says uh, that he made man in his image, which suggests that maybe people also got that creativity that God had. The second story is almost exclusively uses a different name for God. And that name is I am, or The Lord God. I don't know if you noticed that when I was reading. The first one just said God, and the second one, it always said the Lord God. That's because it's a different name for God. It's it's the I am. So when Moses goes and sees the burning bush, and the voice speaks out of the bush, the voice says, I am. What's your name, God? I am. My name is I am. That's the most sacred name that the people of Israel had for God. In fact, it was so sacred that... Most of the time, they wouldn't even say it out loud. It was so sacred and so special. That's the name for God that shows up in the second story, almost exclusively. Jesus, in John 8, 58, um, says this. I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. Now, that's actually a connection to that name of God, the I am name, the Yahweh name of God that Jesus claims as a clear claim to divinity. I think it's also a continuation of the creation story. When Jesus says, even before Abraham, I am, 
He's linking himself to that story. But it's the second one, not the first one. Sometimes the second story is called the Yahwistic story because of the name Yahweh, because of the focus on the I am God. Now, in most of my life, there has been a lot of attention given to the first creation story and not as much to the second one. Um, And I'm not exactly sure why that is, but this morning I might focus a little more on the second one. We're going to look at both of them, but maybe a little more on the second one. Now, the other thing that's really important about this is um, things aren't always as they seem. So sometimes we read passages in the Bible and we read things and we think, oh, we know exactly what that is. But maybe it's not quite exactly how we would interpret it. There are actually a number of things in this in this passage that have ended up causing unending debate. And we're not going to debate this morning. Well, I can debate with myself, I guess. And you could debate with your neighbor. But I'm going to say, let's just forget the debate. But an example might be the word day, right? So the, day, the word day has been debated. What does that even mean? Uh, sometimes things aren't exactly as they appear. So this jacket, for example, looks like a pretty nice conservative brownish jacket. Am I right? Ever been flashed in church before? (laughs) Things, I'm not saying anything for the recording for online about that, so too bad for you if you're listening online right now. Uh, Things are not always as they appear. Um, And then back to this idea of oral tradition. Imagine this is a story that's been told from generation to generation, carefully, meticulously. And then Moses writes it down. And it becomes recorded still to be passed on, but now it's recorded. Isn't it interesting that of the five books Moses brought us, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those are the books of Moses, that the very first thing that's written about is creation. And you might say, yeah, that makes sense. Maybe there are some reasons for that. One of the ways we can understand reasons is to actually try to understand ancient times. And then it helps us understand what was Moses getting at there? Why was this such a big deal to, to begin the Torah, to begin the books of Moses with talking about cosmology, about how things happen? I'm going to bring out a few observations. We could be here for a year talking about this, uh, not very much longer. Looks like about 12 minutes more. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to talk about an understanding of reality that was right for the time. Um, creation is good. Uh, somehow creation is not good, and man is unique. That's what I'm going to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about. So the first thing, the explanation about reality was right for the time. If you study ancient times, you you realize that every ancient culture had a creation story. They all had one. Um, And most of them were actually kind of chaotic and crazy. So in, in most of the ancient world, the gods were unpredictable, There was usually many of them, and they would fight with each other and and kill each other sometimes. There's even a story where somebody kills another, one of the other gods, and then the result is the universe. Weird, strange stuff, you know. And we have strange stories today about about how things came to be, creation stories. Um, This is actually a really, really important point of this story, is how it's different in the stories that we see in the ancient times. And here's the key. Genesis is about one God. 
Even when it says, let us create, it's still the monotheistic God of ancient Israel. One God. And that is in sharp contrast to any other creation story of the time. Um, There's no fighting. It's not like the gods in Genesis have to fight with each other to create something. Um, There's also incredible peace, both among God himself and between God and creation. So I think the most important messages about creation here is that God created the earth. It didn't just happen on its own. It's incredibly intentional. Did you notice that in the story? There's nothing that says, and, well, some stuff just happened. And we're not exactly sure how it happened, but it just happened. That's not the message of Genesis. The message of Genesis is it was very intentional. God did it. He did it on purpose for a reason. And, okay, that was great for ancient time and for ancient peoples. It's actually valuable for us today too, right? That it isn't random. It's intentional. I think that's a really important message for us today. And we have lots of vying creation stories in our world too. Um, I think it's important that we are careful not to impose current times on ancient stories. But to see stuff that relates, I think, is really helpful. And that message that this is intentional, everything you see around you was done on purpose. That's a big message. So that's the first thing. Second thing, creation was good and complete though with relatively little precision or detail. So we know that the animals were created in the trees and they all bore fruit and created and had offspring after themselves. We know that, but we don't have a lot of other stuff there. Um, except this. Isn't this interesting? God gave Adam a job. Just in case you think that in eternity there's no work, wrong, at least not according to this, the perfect creation of God included employment. Adam had a job. Here's the difference between maybe his job and your job. (laughs) He loved it. Now, maybe you love your job too. If that's true, that was God's intent. Because God gave Adam a job that was absolutely perfect for him, and he loved it. What's the good news? God created a good earth, where the humans had good work to do. Good news. Third thing. Creation was good, but it was not good. Did you notice that as we read through the story? Just after all of these times where it says good, 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 then all of a sudden we read, and God said it was not good. Hmm, weird. In the second story, we're surprised by those words. Chapter 2, verse 18. It says, It was not good for the man to be alone. Man was created, had a relationship with God, put in the garden, given the warning about don't eat that tree, fruit from that tree, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't complete. The man was lonely. I was in a dorm room uh, in a university near Chicago about a a thousand years ago. (laughs) Okay, not quite. Back in the 20th century. And... um, there was a graffiti on the wall, and it said, a woman without a man is like a fish without a bicycle. And I remember being of college age thinking, that is so profound. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> okay, so 
we don't know exactly what would have happened if the woman would have been made first, because apparently women don't need men any more than fish need bicycles. But we do know, at least from this passage, that man needed woman. That was a really important part of creation. Uh, so God says, uh, we need to create a helper for him. Helper. Oh, that sounds pretty demeaning. That's like servant, right? Or slave or something like that. Well, if you look at the word that's in the Bible, right there where it says God made a helper for Adam, it's actually the, the Hebrew word etzer. And it's the same word that's used in other places in the Bible where it says God is my Now, most of us don't think of God as our servant, right? Most of us think of God as almighty. We serve him. That helps me understand a little bit about the image of the relationship between man and woman in this passage. A helper is not subservient in this passage. Another thing that's quite helpful is this idea of the rib. So um, the, the word is translated rib, but in other places in the Bible, that same word is translated side, so uh, the image we could say is there isn't as much that God kind of rooted around and dug out a rib. It's more that he actually took a side of Adam and created Eve. And the image is powerful. It's a powerful image of two sides that come together to make a whole being. That's the image of the creation story in Genesis. So what that tells me is, that tells me a lot about man and woman. It tells me that a woman is not beneath or above a man. Actually, beside. That's actually the right way to understand. And I know that I'm, this word is a dangerous word to use. If you don't know why, come talk to me later. But I believe that Adam and Eve were perfect complements to each other. Um, they fit together perfectly. And that's part of the story of creation. Um, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was not good. Because man needed a partner. Fourth thing, man is unique in creation. Um, man is in the image of God, the only part of creation that is in the image of God. So man has stuff like creativity that animals don't have. But one of the most significant things that man has that animals don't have is the choice to accept or reject God. No other part of creation has that choice. So many places in the Bible we read, and the heavens declared God's glory, and the trees clapped their hands, and the mountains and the rivers, and we see God's presence, God's fingerprints. We see it everywhere in creation. But none of those other elements of creation had a choice. So when Jesus is going into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, week before Resurrection Day, and they're praising him, and, and people tell him, don't let them do that, and he says, oh, the stones are going to cry out. Even the rocks will worship. Not because they have a choice. They actually don't. Man, humans, have a choice. Even to reject God. Those of you who are parents, imagine if you had a child and you could guarantee that your child would never stop loving you, would never rebel against you, would never disobey or talk back to you. Now, your first thought is, Wow, that would be incredible. <laughs> and your second thought is, that would be a robot. That's not a child. That's not a human. That's like your dog. That's the uniqueness of humans in creation. We not only can choose to worship God, we can choose to rebel against God. 
God, in his wisdom, gave us that choice. Now, to me, that's really scary, and I don't understand exactly why God did that, but it seems like that's a really important part of who we are as fully human beings. We have the choice to love or rebel against God. So what's the good news? The good news is we can choose to worship. We're going to do some things this morning here in a few minutes that are in the category of response. So we hear scripture, we hear revelation of God, and then we're invited to respond. Um, It's actually our choice. Earlier I invited you to participate by giving money. That's your choice. Uh, We're going to be invited to do other things later today. It's our choice. It's this beautiful, beautiful thing of creation that comes with it all kinds of danger. And we're going to talk more about the danger in future weeks. Today we're focusing on 1 and 2, Genesis 1 and 2. To summarize, in creation we see a really good story of good news. What's the good news? God creates order out of chaos and remains in complete harmony with himself, unlike all other competing creation stories. God remains in complete harmony with himself. Um, In a good creation, God provides for hope and choice and creative response. God, God provides for that in creation. In a good creation, God provides for meaningful employment and work, a job. Good news. In a good creation, God leaves evidence of himself and his work all over the place. His fingerprints are everywhere. Even in the seasons of summer and winter, springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to God's great faithfulness, mercy, and love. What a great story. Amen.